0: We're gonna turn to the scriptures this morning. Our Old Testament passage is found in 1 Samuel chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 10 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible in the pew in front of you and the page numbers are listed in your bulletin. Of course, we're going right into the middle of the Lord calling Samuel to become a prophet of the Lord. And this is going to be the uh, the fourth time that the Lord tries to get Samuel's attention. Beginning at verse 10, listen here to God's word. Then the Lord came and stood and called as as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. Therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. But Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And he said, what is the word that he spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also, if you hide anything from me of all the words that he spoke to you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. Thus Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fail. All Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord, and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Amen. Our gospel reading can be found in Luke chapter 19, And we'll be reading verses 29 through 48. Of course, a familiar passage to many. This is our Lord's triumphal entry. Um, But what I'd like for you to focus in on is the crowd that is assembled in order to praise the Lord. Listen here to God's word. After he, Jesus, had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Then he approached Bethage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, and he sent two of the disciples, saying, go into the village ahead of you. There, as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. And as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, Rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. And when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known to this, in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now you have been, they have been hidden from you, from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Amen. Now, our epistle reading is 1 Peter chapter 2. And we'll be reading verses 4 through 12 together. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. Listen here to God's word. And coming to him as to living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected This became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which weighs war against the soul. And keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Amen. At this time, I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and silently meditate upon God's Word, which we've read this morning. Heavenly Father, we rejoice and give thanks to you for your great love with which you have loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions, making us alive together in Christ. And how we've read your Word even in the New Testament that tells us that we are now a holy people, a possession of yours. And we would pray in the name of Jesus that you would permit your spirit that inspired the writers of your holy word to inspire us to be hearers of the word as well as doers of the word. God, draw us closer to you and allow us to glorify your name. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Do you ever have times in your Christian experience where you felt awkward about speaking up for God or about talking about the Bible over a issue or a topic that was raised in your midst? Do you find people today being rather dismissive about what God has to say in his word in regard to the way in which we're called to live, about our ethics? Do you feel a bit intimidated when others criticize you Because of the choices you make that are based on God's Word in this world. Have you ever been personally threatened? Because you took a stand for God. Or you defended His Word on a current issue in life. You know... These sort of scenarios for Christians today may not have been the norm for us as we lived in this area years ago, but they are today. It doesn't matter what your age is, whether you're very young or you're very old, it does not matter um, what your position is or your education, or even your reputation. As Christians, we are living among people that are either ignorant of, hostile to, or rejecting of God and his word. So how are we supposed to deal with it? And what makes this whole scenario even worse is when we find out that some of the ignorant and some of those that are resentful and some of those that are dismissing God and his word claim to be gods. It is under this sort of constraint of the uninformed, the unfriendly, and those that are renouncing in our culture, that we are commanded by God to witness to, to give them God's truth. However, it is important for us to understand as the people of God today, that it is not much different with the people that, of the past, of times past, during the time of Samuel, during the time of Jesus' ministry, during the time of even the Apostle Peter that we read today. And because this is true, I believe that we can learn much from these three passages this morning. But let me say from the outset, Let me say that there is one major dominating theme that is in each of these passages, and it's this. God's message must not be silenced. And the reason why this is so important for us to hear is because when we become silent as God's witnesses in this world, and his message is not proclaimed, then it leaves people to not know the true and living God. Their spiritual condition is still in a state of confusion, of lies, and of darkness. And they remain in a state of ignorance about God. They do not know who God truly is, nor do they know what God actually expects of them. They are lost. And because they are lost and have not heard the whole truth of God, they stay in that condition. If we keep silent, they neither know nor understand the precious truth of God's plan of redemption and salvation in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. How would you like to be in this position yourself? Lost, ignorant, unable to discern, never hearing the gospel. To be in this spiritually lost condition, to be without God in this world? You know, when we read the passage in 1 Samuel, we find earlier on in that same chapter that Samuel himself was in the same sort of spiritual condition until God revealed himself to him. And though Samuel went through, uh, his parents went through great lengths to dedicate him to the Lord, to allow him to be a servant of the Lord in the temple, to, to, to learn the ways of a Levite, even through Eli, the high priest. There was, for Samuel, during this time frame, at the end of the period of the judges, as it says there in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, that the word from the Lord was rare in those days, and visions were infrequent. You see, Despite the fact that the Lord was calling Samuel to be his prophet, he called him once, twice, even three times. Samuel was not spiritually attuned to hear from the Lord. In fact, we read in verse 7 of that same chapter, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord been revealed to him. Is it possible for you as a young teenager to have grown up in this church or have become an adult and to hear all that God has spoken to you and still be not spiritually attuned? Absolutely. Isn't it wonderful though? That when the Lord decides and chooses to use somebody, how persistently and how effectually he calls that person. We see that in the life of Samuel. Because when we pick it up in verse 10, this is the fourth time that the Lord comes to Samuel. But Samuel, beforehand, thought it was only Eli that was calling him. And eventually, even Eli comes to the realization that it was the Lord. And he tells Samuel that if he hears the voice of the Lord, say, this is, I, I'm ready to hear you, Lord. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. One of the things that we lose sight of about the life of Samuel here is that he's a teenager at best. Just a teenager. And I'd like to encourage those that are young, or young at heart, to realize that God wants to speak to you and to you as well as to me. God wants to speak His word to you, to set you on a path so that you can do the works of God and glorify His name. And you don't have to wait until you get to be my age for that to happen. God can call you now, right where you are. Are you listening? Are you listening? And for us as a crowd here, as the congregation assembled for worship, let me ask you this question. When you came today, did you expect to encounter and hear from the Lord? I hope you did. I hope you didn't come here just to put your time in or come just to have fellowship with people that you know and love. I hope you came because you wanted to hear from the Lord. And if you came ready to hear from the Lord, what of it? What of it? It means nothing if we're not only hearing, just to hear. Are we in the posture of Samuel where he says, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. In other words, are we humbly approaching God as a servant before a holy God and ready to hear and respond and obey? Just as we see here in the life of Samuel, the Lord, by his grace, persistently and effectually calls him. He wants to reveal himself to him. He wants to set him apart, redeem him, and give him his message so that he becomes the Lord's mouthpiece in his day. I just want to encourage our young people here today from the words of the Apostle Paul to a young man named Timothy he tells Timothy let no one look down on your youthfulness but rather in speech conduct love faith and purity Show yourself an example to those who believe. But we need to hear what this first message that God is giving to Samuel to proclaim because we pick it up here in verse 12 of chapter 3. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. It's not a normal expression for us, is it? What does he say? What's he mean by everyone who hears it will tingle? Well, that's a Hebrew idiom. And what he's expressing here is that what the message is going to be is going to have a catastrophic judgment come about. How would you like to be a teenager? 12, 13, 14, 15 years of age, and receive a message of catastrophic judgment from the Lord that you need to deliver to others? Let me tell you, folks, all of us have been given a catastrophic message for those who are not walking in the ways of the Lord. And that message is, repent! Repent! How serious was this message for young Samuel? Let me say to you, it was first very extremely personal to him. Here he is living, growing up in the temple of God, working with Eli, the high priest. This message that God was going to have him deliver was extremely personal. But it was also seriously personal condemning. You might ask yourself, well, how serious was God's prophetic word to Samuel? Let me tell you, as you read on, you find out it was deadly serious. I'm about to do a thing in Israel in which both the ears of everyone who hears will tingle. And then he tells us what that is going to be. He says, in that day, I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. In other words, the Lord is going to bring a complete, a full judgment on Eli and all his house. When he says all of his house, he's talking about all his posterity, every generation out from him. He's going to be removed from his priestly duties. You need to understand, though, that that long ago to Aaron and to to his family was promised the priesthood. And the Lord had said that they would be a perpetual priesthood in Exodus chapter 29, verse 9. And then the Lord seals it with an oath. In Numbers chapter 25, verse 13. However, the rebelliousness, the behavior of Eli's two sons in desecrating the tabernacle and its offerings, in defiling the women that were working at the doorway of the tent of meeting, and Eli's reluctance to judge his sons brings this judgment of the Lord. It comes not only as a complete judgment, but he explains the magnitude of it in 2 Samuel chapter 2, where he says that he's going to break Eli's strength and the strength of his father's house so that there will not be an old man in their house forever. And then he says, and this will be the sign to you. Hophni, your one son, and Phinehas, the other, on the same day, both of them will die. And he tells Samuel that he's already told him about this, which you can read about in chapter 2, verses 29 through 34. He, he says there in verse 13 and 14 of our, of our passage, I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew. Because his sons brought a curse on themselves and did not, and he did not rebuke them. Therefore, he says, I have sworn that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. And this is the message that the Lord has called Samuel to the prophetic office to deliver to the man who was raising him up in the tabernacle. This was Samuel's first message from the Lord. It was against Eli's house, the high priest. The same Eli who had blessed his family, who taught him how to serve God in the tabernacle, and who counseled him recently on how to listen to the voice of God. And what's Samuel's reaction here? Verse 15, he says Samuel was afraid to tell Eli. You know, fear, beloved, fear that is misplaced, that isn't toward God and is toward other things, can prevent us from doing the very work and will of God. But thankfully, Eli is still used by the Lord. <laughs> And when Samuel wakens up that morning and he opens up the door, Eli calls him out and he says to him, Samuel, come to me and tell me what he said to you. Tell me what the Lord spoke to you last night. Tell the whole truth. Keep nothing back. Even there, Eli is teaching Samuel that he must do what God has told him to do, that he must deliver God's message. That Samuel, as a prophet of the Lord, must announce the message of God in all its fullness. In fact, Eli brings a warning to him. He says, if you withhold anything, if you're not being clear and honest about what God's Word says, and if you're trying to please me or please someone else, if you re- don't resist the, uh, the temptations to adjust the message or to edit it or to mediate it between God and the person that is supposed to receive it, you will suffer. The whole message of God must be accurately proclaimed. Proclaimed. And what will happen? Well, you know those ignorant and unfriendly and those misguided people that are living in darkness? When those people hear the Word of God, they will know where they stand with God and with His church. God's message must not be silenced by what we speak. We need to speak about sin and its consequences, that the wages of sin is death. Sinners need to know that they're under the judgment of God, as it's talked about in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. They need to know that to be without Christ, they're under the wrath of God. And that God provides salvation through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, if they but repent and turn to Him. Well, we're told in verse 18 that Samuel gives Eli the whole message of the Lord. And look at Eli's response. He says, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. (laughs) Even though the judgment of God was falling on him and his house, even though he knew his sons were going to die on the same day because of their wickedness, because of their rebellion. He still says, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Ah, I'm out of time. Let's turn to um, Luke quickly, Luke chapter 19, because we see it being expressed even during Jesus' earthly ministry when he's at this place of getting ready to descend from the Mount of Olives and go into Jerusalem. It is a glorious time. It is a wonderful time. The crowds are lining up along the pathway from the Mount of Olives down and following Jesus down to the city of Jerusalem. They're acclaiming honor and glory and blessing to Jesus as the Christ. They call him his king. They're spreading their coats and laying palm branches in the pathway, shouting, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Matthew tells us in Matthew 21, in his version, he says, Hosanna, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And yet in the midst of this glorious time of praise and adoration and wonder among the disciples and the crowds that have formed as Jesus is descending into Jerusalem, there are some in the crowd. Some of the Pharisees we read in verses 39 and 40, in the crowd say to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples, you see, they weren't acknowledging him as king. They weren't acknowledging him as Messiah king. They saw him only as rabbi, teacher. And what's Jesus' answer to them? I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. You see, the people in the crowd were giving God's message out in the public square. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. And Jesus says, they're fulfilling my Father's will, as they speak and proclaim. Psalm 118, verse 26. Because it speaks of me. Jesus says to them, if this animated crowd grows silent, the inanimate stones will cry out. Beloved, today we are being pressured to be silent about God's message of salvation. Our children and our youth are being criticized by officials that are above them, that they're, that they're called on to respect and to receive instruction from. Criticized about their belief in God. There are obvious constraints in the workplace as well as in some homes that if we embrace too hard or, or, or we live too dedicated to the, to the biblical worldview of life that brings honor and glory to God that we will not be able to to do so. We need to remember that being impeded from saying who we believe in and who we are called to live for causes us to cease to be Christians in this world. God's message must not be silenced by the way we speak. Jesus made this very clear. He said, He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. Jesus also taught, Therefore, if anyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Or as Luke chapter 9 verse 26 says, Lord Jesus said, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of his holy angels. Third passage, 1 Peter chapter 2. I had a smooth transition, but we don't have time. Why did the Lord save you? Why did the Lord save me? Peter tells us very clearly here. He tells us in verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim. What? The excellencies of him. Who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light? Yes, we were once not a people, but now we're the people of God. We hadn't received mercy, but now we have received mercy. But it's not just words that we're to be relaying. God's message is more than just words. It encompasses our whole life and our behavior. As he says there in verse 12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may be cause of your good deeds as they observe them. Glorify God in the day of visitation. You see, God's message must be not only shared totally, it must not be selectively shared. It it must be the way in which and how we share the message of God. By God's grace, He saved us. We've died with Christ. We've been buried with Christ. We've been raised to new life in Christ. We have eternal life in Christ. We have the spirit of the living God indwelling us so that we can walk in newness of life, in obedience to his word. And this new life that we have in Christ is message of God. We're a priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're to proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Beloved, more so today than any time in the history of the world, is it needed for us as God's people to share God's message in this world. God's message must not be silenced. Amen.